The sermon text comes from the book of Acts, chapter 3. The Word of God reads, And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Therefore, repent and turn back, so that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And that is the word of the Lord. In this series, in the book of Acts, We are looking at how the Spirit of Christ in the church took the gospel to the ends of the earth. We are also considering that we are a part of that mission. And that in our corner of the world and wherever the Lord God may send us to serve, we too are participating in the mission to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. In this story, we see how the apostle Peter spoke to the crowds who gathered around him in order to bring the gospel deeper into the world, to make sure that the cross of Christ was carried to the culture. 
The context of the story is that Peter and John had healed a man who was lying at the gate going into the temple, the gate called Beautiful. This man was walking and leaping and praising God as a result of his legs being restored to him in the name of Jesus Christ. This miracle drew quite a bit of attention because most people knew that the man who was healed had spent much of his life begging at this gate. So to see him walking and leaping and praising God certainly drew the attention of the crowds. It generated conversation and people gathered around to see and hear what this might mean. The first thing Peter did is he confronted the people. And by confront, I don't mean that he was antagonistic. I don't mean that he was picking a fight with them. I mean that he engaged them. He addressed the people, men of Israel. He referred to them as his brothers. He called them the sons of the prophets and the sons of the covenant. He identified with them in their Jewishness. But he confronted them, meaning that he engaged them. He made contact with them. He looked into their eyes and spoke into their ears and preached truth into their life. The point is this, that in order for the gospel to reach the ends of the earth... The church and her ministers must engage actual people in interpersonal conversation. And we begin doing that where we are. We do it in our town. We do it in our public square. We do it in this corner of the world. We must speak to people. We must not speak to everyone in general, but we must speak to someone in particular. And this is what Peter is doing. Now notice that when Peter preaches to them, engages them, confronts them, he convicts them of their sins. Peter convicted his Jewish brothers of their sins. He did not preach about the sins of other people. He did not preach about the sins that people who were not present had committed. He was speaking to people in front of him about their sin. And so he said to these people, you delivered Jesus over. You denied the holy and righteous one in the presence of men. So like a covenant prosecutor, Peter is coming to the people, preaching God's word, charging God's people with breaking God's law. Exhibit A, they bore false witness against their neighbor when they delivered Jesus over to Pilate and denied him in the presence of men. Exhibit B, they committed murder when they exchanged the author of life for an agent of death. Now, they obviously had committed other sins, a wide range of sins, as we are prone to do. But Peter highlights two specific things, 
two specific sins that were related to the death of Jesus. Now, the death of Jesus had happened just a few weeks prior to his preaching this sermon. The death of Jesus was still fresh on the minds of the people. The events of Passover, the unfolding of the resurrection and the rumors of what happened at the resurrection. And now you've got Pentecost and all of these stories are circulating that perhaps Jesus, who was crucified with the help of wicked men, is now alive. And Peter preaches to a crowd of people who had witnessed those events. Perhaps some of them had stood there and called for the crucifixion of Jesus, voted for the release of Barabbas. And Peter calls this what it is, sin. They sinned against God and against man. They sinned against God by breaking His law, bearing false witness, committing murder. Now, Peter specifies that they denied the Holy and Righteous One. And he mentions the word deny twice. I can't help but wonder if Peter choked up, if his voice cracked when he charged his Jewish brothers with denying Jesus, the Holy and Righteous Author of Life. I wonder if as he preached about their denial of Jesus, I wonder if he heard echoes of a rooster's crow even as he preached about the suffering servant of the Lord. Remember in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus had said, I tell you that everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Peter heard Jesus preach and teach this word. And yet, a short time later, he also heard Jesus say, I tell you, Peter, The rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Peter immediately denied that that would happen. But that did not count as one of the denials. What counted as the denials were the three times Peter was confronted by men and women concerning his relationship to Jesus. And each time he denied it. I don't know him. And Luke tells us in Luke 22 that when Peter denied Jesus the third time, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. So like his Jewish brothers, Peter had denied Christ before men and women. He had also wept bitterly over his sin, repented of his sin, and turned back to Christ. He received the remission of sins and the refreshment that comes from the presence of the Lord. He was restored by Christ even after denying him three times. 
The reason I tell you all of this is because I want you to know that when Peter was confronting these people and convicting them of their sin, he wasn't simply trying to blow them up or make them feel bad. He wasn't laying a guilt trip on them or fear-mongering. He was speaking as one of them, as someone who himself had denied Christ three times. And he now can speak to them and say, there is a way back once you have denied Christ, once you have drifted from him, once you have delivered him over for something else. There is a way back. And the way back is the way of the cross. Peter then converges on Christ. You see, it's not enough to convict people of sins. Anyone can do that. But once you've convicted someone of sins, you've got to lead them out of their misery, out of their guilt and shame. You've got to show them that there are signs of life and hope. And that's what Peter does. He converges the message He converges the audience, the threads of the story. He brings them all together in Christ. And he begins to speak to them in a very pastoral way. He says, look, I know that you acted in ignorance, brothers, as did your rulers. They couldn't possibly know what they were doing. They didn't fully understand who Jesus was. They acted in ignorance. This does not mean that they were stupid and uneducated. It means that they did not know the truth about the person and work of Jesus. But God did. And God was drawing straight lines with crooked sticks, even in the midst of this jumbled mess of a story. His people were delivering Jesus over and denying Him before men. God was even taking their sinful actions, their sinful decisions, and He was working all things together for the good of those who love Him and of those who are called according to His purpose. God knew full well what was going on, and He is working with and through this mess of circumstances to bring about the good news of Jesus Christ suffering for the sake of and in the place of his people. Notice that Peter shifts attention away from the people instead of saying you did this and you did that. He then shifts gears to talk about who Jesus is and what Jesus does. Jesus is the gravitational center of this sermon. All of the storylines converge in him at the bloody cross and at the empty tomb. So Peter exalts Jesus in the eyes of the people, the one that they had humiliated and shamed. Peter now exalts and glorifies He calls Jesus the servant of God, the holy and righteous one, the author of life, the healer, the risen one, the Christ, the prophet and the seed. 
A whole series of sermons could be preached, fleshing out each one of those truths about Jesus. But here's a little taste of what Peter is getting at. Jesus is the suffering servant of the Lord who did good and suffered for it. Who left an example that we should follow in his steps. Who bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Jesus is the holy and righteous one who committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus is the author of life who blazed a trail out of death into life, who opened up a new and living hope into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Jesus is the healer who heals sinners by his own wounds. Jesus is the Christ who suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Jesus is the risen one who saves you who are baptized, not by removing dirt from your body, but by raising you from the dead. Jesus is the prophet who speaks God's truth and reveals God's will to us in love. And Jesus is the seed, the offspring of God who came to bless all the families of the earth, all the nations of the world, just as God promised. So when Peter said, men of Israel... Brothers, sons of the prophets, sons of the covenant. Hear me. He wanted them to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he centered his sermon on the person and work of Jesus. And he magnified the name of Jesus in his preaching. And he showed us that all the scriptures converge on and in the person of Jesus. It is by faith in the name of Jesus Christ that the weak are made strong, that the broken are mended, the sick are healed, the guilty are forgiven, the dead are raised. And it is with this gospel of grace message That Peter then begins to console the hearts of those who were convicted of their sins. Notice that after he preaches the gospel to them, he says, Therefore, in light of the truth and the grace of the gospel, this is how you must respond. Repent and turn back. Repent And turn back. Change your thinking. Change your living. Turn back to God. And here's the result of turning back to God. The remission of your sins. 
the refreshment of your soul, the return of Jesus, the restoration of all things. This is not a hellfire and brimstone, turn or burn kind of sermon. This is the heartfelt plea of a friend and of a brother. Please step back from the edge. Please turn around and come back home. Please change your mind and change your life. Please reconsider your ways. Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 15, states that repentance unto life is an evangelical grace which must be preached by every minister of the gospel as well as that of faith in Christ. And by evangelical grace, the divines did not mean that it is a Protestant grace over against a Catholic grace. Repentance is a gospel grace. Repentance is turning from self and returning to God. It is of such necessity to all sinners that none may expect pardon without it. The divines go on to say there is no sin so small, but it deserves damnation So there is no sin so great that it can bring damnation to those who truly repent. Repentance is necessary for salvation. I know many of us struggle in life with anxiety and depression. I know some of us feel that our souls have dried up And withered within us. And it just may be in some cases. Perhaps in many cases. It just may be that repentance is what we need. More than anything else. Repenting and returning to God. So that times of refreshment may come from the face of the Lord. Perhaps the anxiety and depression that some of us face is the result of deeply rooted sin in our hearts and in our lives. Perhaps the doom and gloom that haunts so many of us is due to the deeply rooted sin that clouds our hearts and our minds. I want you to hear the promise of the gospel extended to you, held out to you in Christ. That if you repent and if you return to God, times of refreshment will come from the face of the Lord to you. This is in addition to the remission of your sins. It's not just about God removing your sin, which is amazing grace in and of itself. But it is about God removing your sin and replacing your sin with refreshment that comes from the Lord 
And it brings you into the story of the restoration of all things. Not just the restoration of the heavens and the earth, but the restoration of your heart and mind and life. Tim Keller puts it like this, that repentance out of mere fear is really sorrow for the consequences of sin. Sorrow over the danger of sin. It bends the will away from sin, but the heart still clings. But repentance out of conviction over mercy is really sorrow over sin. Sorrow over the grievousness of sin. It melts the heart away from sin. It makes the sin itself disgusting to us. So it loses its attractive power over us. Repent and return to God so that times of refreshment may come from the face of the Lord to you. Charles Spurgeon said, slow are the steps of repentance, but swift are the feet of forgiveness. God can run where we can scarcely limp. And if we are limping towards Him, He will run towards us. To rescue us. To revive us. To refresh us. Peter does one last thing in this sermon that I find to be very helpful. He connects the dots. It would be easy for people to think that he was making up this story out of thin air. But he shows us how all of the Old Testament scriptures from Genesis to Malachi point to Jesus. He quotes, cites, or alludes to every major section of the Old Testament in this brief sermon. There are references to the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. There are references to the prophets, Judges, and 2 Samuel, and Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Zechariah. There are references to the Psalms and to Daniel. The point is that Peter is preaching Christ with a smile on his lips, a finger on the verse, and God's word in his mouth. This shows us that he was not just making up the gospel of Jesus Christ out of thin air. He was under the influence and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, showing us how the word of God had prepared and pointed people to this moment in time. He connected the dots for the Jewish people who had the sacred scriptures And he was showing them from their scriptures that Jesus is the Christ, the Holy One and Righteous One, the author of life, the suffering servant of the Lord. That Jesus is the servant that God sent first to the Jews to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And the fact that they didn't get it, the fact that they didn't understand what God was trying to do, doesn't change the fact that God sent Jesus Christ to the Jewish people first. 
in order to turn every one of them from their wickedness and to bless them. To bless them in the seed, the offspring, the promised child, just as God had promised. So Peter has charged these people with their particular sins of delivering Jesus over to the Gentiles and of denying him before men. He has consoled them with the gospel of grace. The Holy Spirit has been at work convicting some of them of sin, converting some of them to Christ and comforting their hearts with the good news. And still we see a mixed response among Peter's Jewish brothers. If you dip into chapter 4, because there's a terrible chapter break there. But if you dip into chapter 4, you will see the response of those who heard Peter preach. On the one hand, you have those priests and captain of the temple and the Sadducees. These are religious Leaders who came up to Peter and John and were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. The Sadducees were like the liberal theologians of their day, basically humanists who were religious. They did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And so they are greatly annoyed. The priests are greatly annoyed because they are preaching that Jesus died for the people, doing away with sacrifice. The captain of the temple is greatly annoyed because the people are going to Peter and John and not getting involved in the worship liturgical service at the temple. So they're causing a stir. Greatly annoyed. And because they're greatly annoyed, they arrested Peter and John and put them in custody until the next day because it was already evening. But those were not the only responses to this gospel sermon. Many of those who had heard the word believed. Many of those who heard the word believed. So we need to know, as we come full circle, we need to know that when we're taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, and we're engaging our community, engaging our culture, as we are confronting the ideas and the, and the uh, religious philosophies and the concepts and presuppositions of people around us, as we engage the world around us with the gospel, there will be a variety of responses. Some people will be greatly annoyed. That does not mean that we should then become silent. It does not mean that we should then close our mouths and hide the gospel away just because they were greatly annoyed. Some people may threaten us with arrest because they are greatly annoyed. But that does not mean that we stop proclaiming Christ. It does not mean that we should cower in fear. We need to know that the Spirit of God is always working. And that when the gospel goes out into a community and into a culture, the Spirit of God is the one who ultimately grants the grace 
to sinners that they might repent and return to God in Jesus Christ. And we find great hope in this because this is in fact how we came to faith in Jesus Christ.